the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts with today's leading scientific and esoteric experts supporting the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring hidden trauma in your food. There's increasing evidence that trauma and adrenaline saturate the meat wrapped in pristine cellophane in our supermarkets. Few of us suspect or understand the suffering animals endure due to inhumane handling and butchering practices. Just because humans must kill to survive does not mean being calloused or brutal in the process. Mutual respect, honoring, and gentle handling of those that sacrifice that we may live is paramount for our personal health and well-being. Gratitude for both the plants and animals that sustain us not only honors the circle of life, but reduces trauma and supports all involved. 
it would be interesting to know how much of the stress, fear, and aggression we see in the world results from the way our food, both plants and animals, is disrespected, abused, and traumatized. After all, we are what we eat. Clearly, an evolutionary approach is in order. With us to delve into the animal portion of this dilemma and hopefully offer some innovative solutions is Dr. Temple Grandin. Dr. Grandin is a professor of animal science at Colorado State University with a PhD in animal science from the University of Illinois. A designer of livestock handling facilities, her systems are used worldwide. Her writings on the flight zone and other principles of grazing animal behavior have helped many reduce stress on their animals during handling. Temple is a prolific author with three books on the New York Times bestseller list, and her life story has been made into an HBO movie, which won seven Emmy Awards and a Golden Globe. Dr. Grandin was inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame in 2018, made a fellow by the American Association for Advancement of Science. Her website, grandin.com. Dr. Grandin, thank you for joining us on Mission Evolution. It's great to be here today. <laughs> How do you become interested in animal science? Well, you, it, first of all, it comes down to exposure. I came from a non-agricultural background. I was raised on the East Coast. And when I was 15 years old, I had a chance to visit my aunt's ranch in Arizona in the summer. I'd never been um, in the West before. And prior to that, I had not been working with animals. You know, students get interested in things they get exposed to. So that started my interest, and then I ended up uh, going out to Arizona to go to school, and I started going around all the local feed yards when they were handling the cattle for vaccinations. And I observed that animals um, balk at little distractions we tend to not notice, just something simple, such as a coat on a fence, a truck parked by the facility, and there's a shiny reflection on it. And other people didn't see those things, and I saw it. And when I first started, I didn't realize that I'm a total visual thinker. I thought everybody thought in pictures the way I did. And that I didn't know why I was noticing these little distractions. And other people were not noticing it. And if you do something as simple as get the coat off the fence, the cattle will move up the chute a whole lot more easily. That's <laughs> amazing, isn't it? You know, I, um, again, grew up on ranches as well, and I did notice, you know, your, your, your prey animals, they'll tend to shy at things. I mean, if you handle horses, you better watch for those things on the fence, right? Yep, that's right. That's absolutely right. So what inspired you to design livestock handling facilities? Well, I started going out to the feed yards, and I saw, you know, design mistakes in livestock handling facilities. And I saw that some designs worked and some designs um, did not work. There can be common mistakes such as bending the single file chute too sharply right where it joins the crowding pen that takes the animals from a group down to single file. And if that's laid out wrong, they don't see a place to go. And uh, so laying out facilities correctly is important. Um, you've got to look at what they're seeing. You know, I've done a lot of curved chute systems and one advantage of that is that the curved chute prevents the animal from seeing all the activity at the other end of the chute. But you also have to lay it out so as the animal enters it, they see a place to go. And then cattle have a natural behavior to want to go back to where they come from. So you kind of were able to see like the animal saw more so than other well, people. Well, that's right. Yeah. yeah that's so, right. So what problems do you see in our current animal handling practices? Well, the biggest problem right now is um, is – it's just getting people to calm down when they handle animals. They've got to calm down. 
uh, that's your first step. Yelling and screaming at cattle, that can be extremely stressful. People need to just calm down because when you yell and scream at them, it has intent where a piece of equipment just running in the background, like a, that has, does not have intent. So people have to calm down. And then when they calm down, there's all kinds of things that they can learn about um, cattle behavior. But if they don't calm down, then the animals get all excited and they get fearful. And when they get excited, it takes 20 minutes for them to calm back down again. They can get wow. fearful instantly, but calming down takes time. So um, what do you think, and I have observed that as well, why do you think people get so upset when they're, when they're handling animals? Well, so some people don't, but, um, you know, there's a lot more interest now in low-stress cattle handling methods. There's a lot of people uh, teaching workshops on this. And so there's beginning to become an awareness in the industry that this is a really important thing. But the first step you do have to do is to calm down so that um, uh, that then you can then you can observe the behavior because if you just get the animals all excited and agitated and fearful um they just stick together difficult to sort so calming down is the first thing you've got to do then you've got to start observing and then you've got to start learning mm. so in other words adapt to them rather than expecting them to adapt to us well yeah that might be you know, putting it kind of oversimplifying it <laughs> but the first thing you've got to do is, is not get them agitated. See, a prey species animal is always looking for something in the environment that's dangerous. So they'll notice some little thing that moves. Like I have found at the slaughter plants, I've been in three different slaughter plants where a paper towel hanging out of a dispenser stopped the cattle from going in, just hanging down from the dispenser, just moving just a little bit. And I got rid of the paper towels, and then they went right in. Little yeah. things that move. Maybe right. uh, so a puddle on a wet floor, and it's got a drip going on it and that makes the water move makes the reflection move just a little bit that will stop them and i have found that changing the lighting will really improve things and when i move the lights i can make a reflection go away mm. or i so, add a light to a dark entrance because they're afraid of the dark so i put a light on the entrance they'll go in so it's, it sounds like um again you're trying to reduce stress tell us about how stress impacts meat quality well basically in the last uh, five minutes before slaughter in pigs, if they get electrically prodded or they get jammed in the chute, you, you may get more pale, soft meat, where it's watery, pale, soft meat. That's called PSE. Or, and in cattle, in the last five minutes, if you get them excited with electric prodders, you can cause tough meat. And then there's some other stress, uh, other stress things that can happen to meat, such as dark cutters. But that tends to be a longer-term stress and sometimes might be caused by the weather fluctuating, maybe 24 hours, 48 hours prior to slaughter. It's snowing one day, and then it's really hot the next day, and that can cause the meat to get stressed, and, and it has nothing to do with fear. It has to do with environmental stress. Are there in any... That last, uh, are last there any... five minutes, um, this is where the uh, good handling is really important. Are there? Uh, are you aware of any studies done on the effect of adrenaline-laced meat on human health? Uh, there's no studies on that whatsoever. Um, there, I, I don't know of any evidence about that. Be interested to look at, wouldn't it? Well, I, there's, there's absolutely nothing in the literature on that. Now, stressed meat, um, uh, if you get the dark-cutting meat, which can oftentimes happen from longer-term stresses, it's going to reduce the shelf life of the meat. So when they package the meat in plastic, um, it won't last for as many days. 
Now, if somebody let that go bad, that could possibly make somebody sick. But if they let it go bad, it does what's called reducing the shelf life of, of the meat. And then the other problems, the pale, soft, watery meat, it's perfectly good to eat. But what happens is the meat doesn't um, hold the, its water. This is mainly a problem in pork. And so you get a dried up pork chop that's not, not very good. So that pale, soft, watery meat, and you'll see a pork chop in the store and the, the bottom of the package will just be full of fluid that's leaked out of it. And that, so does it have any factors? There's genetic factors in that. And there's also um, uh, there's also just the last five minutes of handling has an effect on that. Right. Well, we're about out of time in, in this segment. But um, do you are there any studies done on nutrition? Does it affect nutrition? Probably not. Nutrition is going to be more affected by what an animal eats. Like if a, you have a, you, if they're out on pasture, they eat uh, more omega threes. Um, you know, it's not a huge effect on nutrition, but um, you can get a small effect on nutrition on what an animal eats. It also affects how much fat might be in the meat. That's affected by both genetics and by nutrition. Interesting. So um, I, on the other side of, of a commercial break, I'd really like to get into the genetic portion because that sounds like it pay, plays a, a large yes, role here. I'd be happy here. to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So it, it does play a large role. And we have... Uh, changed our animals quite a bit over the years, haven't we? Well, I'm concerned about um, I'm pushing animals too hard. You breed an animal to just grow, 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 grow. Mm -hmm. Then, mm -hmm. then um, you, there you go. change. Well, it is, uh, it is time for that promised commercial break. Dr. Grandin and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by shaman worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. 
SIMULTV.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a SIMULTV.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about SIMULTV.com. She even spelled it out for me. SIMULTV.com, Sonny Boy. SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. Our guest this hour is Dr. Temple Grandin. Her website, grandin.com. Temple, before we went into the commercial break, we were starting to talk about how we've uh, changed our animals genetically and uh, how that impacts things. Would you mind going into that for us? Yes, I'll be happy to do that. Um, with both animals and plants, and I want to um, emphasize this has also been done with plants. A lot of the wild uh, relatives of plants and animals are very hardy. They could withstand all kinds of parasites and diseases, but they weren't very productive. So then we breed both animals and plants to be more productive, which is a good thing. A certain amount of that is really a good thing. And you get much more productive animals, and you get much more productive plants. But if you overdo it, then you can start to get problems. Because I like to visualize genetic selection sort of like a country's national budget. And there's only so much energy I can allocate around. So if I put all the budget into just making lots of meat or making more wheat or whatever the, the plant is, then you're going to shortchange infrastructure, where in animals uh, you tend to get uh, foot and leg abnormalities. Uh, they won't reproduce. Um, and the other thing you short, may shortchange is the military, which would be the immune system. And, and what we have to do is find the optimal. It's good to uh, make them more productive than their wild relatives, but there's a point where you overdo it. And then you may lose disease resistance, or you may get um, you know, leg conformation issues such as too straight, uh, crooked, or um, collapsed ankles. And it's real important that breeders um, watch for those kinds of problems. What they need to be thinking about is what is the optimal thing to do, not the maximum. Because some selection for more production is a good thing to do. But the point is, people don't know when to stop. Yeah, we get greedy, don't we? And it's like if you if you breed, um, breed animals, you're, you're breeding for a trait, you're interbreeding. Uh, does that compromise their, like you were saying, compromise their health? And if it compromises their health, what does it do to the quality of, of the food? Well, one of the biggest problem is um, a dead animal produces uh, no food at all. Um, <laughs> that is a problem. We also have to worry about this problem in plants, too. It's not just a livestock issue. Because we're getting problems. Well, I was just looking through some literature I'd been collecting on some disease problems in bananas and wheat. It, it, what we have to start looking at is optimizing it. You can't just go back to the wild relatives because they don't have any, hardly any production, very, very little production. It's figuring out the optimal way of selecting for you know, good production, but you also keep enough infrastructure and military um, and don't breed the disease resistance out of them. Uh, accidentally, uh, you know, we also optimizing a system, and this is something that people have a hard time understanding. What is the optimal thing to do, not the maximum? 
So we also um, actually genetically modify rather than just selective breeding our plants. Is, is the same thing going on with animals yet? Well, uh, there are no GMO animals. At this point right now, no animals are GMOs. That's good. I know they've tried to clone some. I don't know how they're getting there. Well, bananas have been cloned forever. Mm -hmm. But it was done with, um, you know, with little um, branches that are grown. Right, right. They've been cloned forever. And right now there's a problem with the Cavendish yellow banana um, getting a disease that's been spreading around. See, I think we're going to have to breed some hardiness uh, back, you know, back into some of these uh, plants, too. It isn't just the, uh, the animals. It seems like it's, it's crossed the board because we've you know, pushed it to the max, like you said. How do you see turning that around? Well, I think we have to start looking at what's the optimal thing to do. Now, let's just explain something interesting about GMOs. When I ask people, what is the first GMO? People are going to say, yeah, it's a, a soybean or some other plant that was made so you could spray Roundup on, on it, and, and the soybean would stay alive and the weeds would get killed. That's not the first GMO. The first GMO, and it's been around for a long time, is insulin. And that oh, was developed in the late 70s. You see, originally they got insulin for diabetics from the pancreas glands of cattle and pigs. And then now they're taking human insulin and they grow, um, you know, they grow it basically in vats. And they use a genetically modified organism to manufacture that insulin. That is the first GMO. Everybody's been using that all since the 80s. That's been around for a long time. And now I watched the use of the pancreas glands get gradually phased out in the 80s. And probably something more artificial put in its place? Well, what they've done is they take the human insulin and they have, they have um, bacteria that grow it. But that's oh. your first GMO. It's not. It's not Roundup-ready plants. So how does lowering stress um, in our animals, what, what if, how can we do that, and what effect is it going to have overall on the industry? Well, uh, good handling uh, equals better weight gain. Uh, my student, Bridget Wazenay, almost 25 years ago, did the very first research that showed that when cattle jump all around in the squeeze chute and get excited when you handle them, they have lower weight gain. And when we did that research 25 years ago, people thought it was really crazy. You know, that's been replicated now, absolutely been replicated. And how, how much an animal behaviorally gets agitated during handling is a function of both genetics and of learning. And where you really see genetic differences is when you suddenly introduce novelty. A question I get all the time is, oh, my horse was fine at home and he went berserk at the show. Well, the reason for that is there's a lot of new novel things at that show, balloons, flags, uh, bicycles, baby carriages. And it's really important to get your horse or any animal used to that that novelty. And where you see the genetic differences is when you suddenly introduce a sudden novel experience, like an umbrella, one of those umbrellas where you push the button and it just suddenly opens. A genetically flighty animal will have a much bigger reaction to that umbrella suddenly opening than a genetically calm animal. And so then the industry starts selecting for a calm temperament. And the research that we did has been replicated probably you know, 50 or 60 times now. But there's a point where you could overselect for temperament, where you could get such a calm animal that maybe it's just a lazy uh, slug that won't graze and doesn't take care of its calf. Again, it's optimal. You've got to start <laughs> looking at that. 
optimizing isn't that interesting because it's there's this fine line between you know i think god knew what he she was doing when she create he, he she created things and of course people get in there and they start modifying them and it's a fine line bef- between optimizing and uh, destroying how can we start recognizing where that line lies and not cross it well the thing is a lot of there's different ways you can think this gets into ways of thinking and solving problems in general i am a visual thinker everything that i think about is a picture, like um, the HBO movie Temple Grandin shows how pictures come into my mind, that's visual thinking. There's other people that are more mathematical thinkers. And right now in education, our educational system is sort of um, giving uh, priority to the mathematical way of thinking, and they don't see things, but they calculate it. It's calculated. And then you have the word thinkers, where you can get way too generalized. And a visual thinker will look at the animal and go, oh, you're starting to get a leg confirmation problem. He's too straight, or he's a bit collapsed in the ankle. The mathematical thinker will just be looking at the numbers on a spreadsheet that show parameters such as how, how much gain it's putting on. See, now cattle breeders and breeders of other animals are starting to realize that you've got to look at more things, like the Angus Association relatively recently has started um, uh, having the producers collect records, so it's called EPDs, uh, on leg confirmation. You have to you see, but a visual thinker will tend to see these problems. A mathematician doesn't see it. Like the reason why Fukushima nuclear reactor burned up is because they calculated that the risk of the basement flooding was extremely low. A visual thinker just sees the water coming over the seawall, flooding the basement, and now the electrically driven pump for the emergency cooling no longer works. And what I learned is the mathematician doesn't see the water filling the basement. This is where, in many different things, we need the different kinds of minds. Yeah, um, doesn't that make you know, sense? Together. We could, yeah, exactly. Combine it and work it together. That's why we're all made differently. Well, and this is where different kinds of thinking, well, you even take something as simple as your iPhone. That was developed by an artist. The mathematicians had to make the inside of that phone work, but that phone was easy to use because that wasn't designed by a mathematician. That was designed by an artist. Mm. You see, this is where... You need the different kinds of minds because they d- bring in different approaches to problem solving. And do you I'm really see, concerned do you, that our educational right. system is screening out visual thinkers. And oh, absolutely. Thinkers. Absolutely, we do, yeah. Um, do you see um, a resistance to the things that you're trying to implement from the status quo? Well, the cattle handling is actually one of the things where people have gotten better compared to 10 or 20 years ago. You know, they, uh, the Cattle Association, the National Cattle Beef Association, they've been sponsoring a lot of workshops, teach people about good handling. So that's one of the good things, you know, that's been done. Now you also have to make sure you don't push the biology of the animal too hard with how you feed it or maybe some promoting substances that you give to it. Um, I'm concerned about something I call biological overload. And you can, there's a point where you push a system too hard. It's like a bridge breaking. You know, you can load it and load it and load it, and then all of a sudden it's going to break. And the visual thinker has an easier time seeing the problem coming. Like, I was one of the first people to speak out about uh, leg confirmation issues. And people uh, weren't were pleased with me. That was probably 10 years ago. And now, within the last five years, I now have um, record-keeping for the Angus breed on leg confirmation. It's one of the well, first indicators that there's a problem? That, well, it's one of the first indicators that you've got a breeding problem. Because I watched that problem happen 30 years ago in the pig industry. 
mm-hmm. back in the late 80s. They just selected for rapid gain, a gigantic loin, thin back fat, and you ended up with an excitable pig that fought other pigs and had there horrible leg conformation yeah. and horrible lameness issues. Well, it's time, then, for, it's time for another quick pause. Temple and I will return to our discussions shortly, so you stay right there. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Shamanic Art School proudly presents the Gathering of Shaman 2019 Fall Retreat, Manifestation Salon. Join me, Certified Shamanic Instructor Gwilda Wiecka, in the magnificent Colorado Mountains this November 2nd and 3rd for a life-changing event. Participate in unique teachings and ceremonies that will put the power and magic of shamanic manifestation into your hands. Sit in circle with like-minded individuals, sharing group energy and the power it generates. Classes will be held in a facility next to the beautiful, majestic Arkansas River further empowering the experience. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today. For more information, visit findyourpathhome.com or email touchin at findyourpathhome.com. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, Join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light.
Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, missionevolution.org, bringing leading-edge information, supporting the path to enlightenment. We're speaking with Dr. Temple Grandin. Her website, grandin.com. Temple, what difference do you see between animals that have been humanely handled from birth and those that have not, or is there a difference? Well, animals that are handled humanely are going to be a lot calmer, um, and, and they're not going to be afraid of people. There's a whole lot of research on stockmanship, some of it old research, some of it new research, that's shown that animals that are afraid of people gain less weight, give less milk, have a harder time getting bred when they're using artificial insemination. Good stockmanship pays. There is a lot of scientific research that shows that. And the thing I have found is people want the thing more than they want the management. And stockmanship is the management. Okay, we're going to go out and get the new cattle handling facility put in. I've designed facilities that every major meat company has got in cattle. And they this thing, they buy this magic new thing that just solves all the management problems. It doesn't. Having that new facility is important, but it does not replace management. It's just like when the schools put a laptop in every school, every student got a laptop. That did not make make the school wonderful. You still have got to have teaching. You see, that's the management side of things. And I found it was easy throughout my career to sell the equipment. That's easy. But getting people to manage it properly, that is the hardest thing. And one of the things that made some of the biggest changes was back, this is about 20 years ago, where McDonald's Corporation and Wendy's started auditing the big slaughterhouses for how they handled animals. And I implemented that system. And it basically forced them to manage their stuff, train their people, and do a lot of repairs on equipment. A lot of problems is they just let everything break, and that caused problems. You know, um, now this is going to be a more observative thing than a scientific one, but it seems like stress begets stress. And if you start stressing one animal or if you're stressed, like you were talking about in the first segment, then that these are herd animals. They've got to listen to each other energetically. Doesn't that just stress the whole herd? Well, yes, you can get one agitated animal in a herd of cattle, and, and, that's, and that agitation spreads. And I've got a paper on this, and you might ask, well, why do I call it agitation? Well, back um, 25 years ago when I did that paper, I was forced by journal article reviewers to not use the word fear. That was not considered a scientific word. Now it is considered a scientific word because um, the, the research in the neuroscience literature about fear finally got brought over to the veterinarian animal science literature. Do you do you see where the, you know the herd animal responding to the stress of one, then they all get agitated or in fear, actually reflecting back to the handlers, and pretty soon everything accelerates? Oh yes, you can get you can get cattle all excited, and if they're genetically excitable cattle, the problem's way worse than maybe calmer cattle like Holsteins or Herefords. Um, yeah, they, you can get the whole herd completely stirred up. This is why it's so important as a first step. Handlers have got to calm down and stop <laughs> screaming. And when they do that, then there's a whole lot of things they can learn about cattle behavior and low-stress handling and how to move them efficiently uh, in a very quiet manner, but that people have to calm down. And people are getting better about this, but uh, I, remember, I remember having ranchers' wives used to say to me, if I could just get my husband to stop screaming at the cattle. Yeah, see, really, that, we'd all be happier. Right? That's your first step. Mm -hmm. You've got to get rid of that. 
Yeah. You know, which brings up my next question. How can understanding of animal behavior improve animal handling? Well, it can really improve it because there's some simple things that you can do if you understand how the flight zone works. Let's just say some cattle are rearing up in a single file chute. They're waiting in line maybe at a meat plant or at, to get their vaccinations. They behave the same way in both places, and the animal's rearing up. The reason it's doing that is that person is standing in the flight zone, and all the person has to do is move away. Just you mean rearing up? up? Move away. You mean rearing up like rearing, coming so up rearing on their back up and legs? Trying to jump out of the top of the chute. Uh huh. That gotcha. kind of rearing up. And so the person, all the person has to do is just back up and move away from that animal, and then it will stop rearing. Instead it's, of trying to intervene, simple, which makes it worse. They've got to understand it has a flight zone. Now, the yeah, size let, of that what flight is the zone, flight zone? What is the flight zone? Well, if you go into a pasture of cattle, just a, out in the pasture, and you walk up to the cattle, there's a point where they will start to move away. That's the edge of the flight zone. And that edge is determined by uh, their genetics and their previous experiences with people. Because you have a completely tame show animal, it has no flight zone. You lead that animal. But your average cattle in the pasture will have some flight zones. So I walk up to them and they move away. But there's also a zone where they'll turn around and look at me. And that zone is just outside the edge of the flight zone. So there's kind of two zones. There's the edge of the flight zone where they'll move away. And then there's another zone where they turn around and look at me. And all grazing animals do this, whether they're cattle, whether they're antelopes, wildebeest, um, they will turn and look at you because uh, that's an, an anti-predator behavior. And then if you're far enough away, they just ignore you. So there's kind of the zone where they ignore you, the zone where they turn and look at you, and then the zone when you get closer, they move away. And the size of those zones is affected by both learning and genetics and previous experience and genetics. So it's pretty complicated, but if you're paying attention to their behavior, you can see when you're starting to get their attention and then when you're starting to panic them. Is that correct? Well, yes, and I have um, information on my website about this. It's all explained. I also have a book called Temple Grandin's Guide to Working with Farm Animals. Um, it shows all these things. It has a, a really nice color photographs. So it's called Temple Grandin's Guide to Working with Farm Animals. Um, that, for, you know, that, that particular book is aimed at the, the small farms. And then I have another book, Humane Livestock Handling, that's aimed at the bigger operations. So where, it where explains all, where, the behaviors. Where all have your methods been adopted? Well, some of the biggest places have adopted them, and, and, and small places have adopted them, too, because I've put my website out there and books out there. See, the best way to get people to adopt stuff is put it out there and, and write it up in an in a easy-to-understand manner. And yeah, I have that's diagrams, it. and I have pictures that show this stuff. So, you know, let's go back to, you know, genetic breeding that we've been doing. It It looks like we're faced with one big genetic, genetic mess. How do you see us turning this around? How would you suggest we start? Well, the first thing is, you know, it, a, lot of, a lot of new things, it starts one small innovative person. I don't care what industry you are in, little guys innovate. It doesn't matter whether it's the electronics industry or some other industry. And then those innovations can spread. And one of the things that helped me in my business is I wrote about it when I first started. I would I learn something about the cattle behavior, and then I wrote about it in the cattle magazines, and I wrote about it in, in the scientific uh, journal articles. You know, write about stuff. But lots of good things start out small. Um, and writing about it, and, and I just wrote about it. I didn't like say, well, ranchers are terrible because they yell at cattle. 
I just put out the directions. This is how you should do it. Tell yes, people works how better. to do it. Mm-hmm. Just what, clear how to do it. What results have you seen over time from implementing your methods? Well, there's people that have implemented and, and they've had a really you know good time. There's I want to emphasize now because this is now like 45 years later, 40 years later. You know that in the last uh, 10 to 20 years, there's now other people that have been doing a lot of workshops and teaching a lot of the same things. And sometimes you have different names for stuff, but it's it's still basically the same thing. People are getting you know more awareness of the importance of good livestock handling methods. How much do you think that the movement towards you know people becoming more aware of animal cruelty on all levels? Do you think that's helping with the process? Well, some of it's changing. I mean, the uh, everybody's got a phone in their pocket, and yes, it had the industry does respond when some awful video is put out there people doing things they absolutely should not be doing, you know, like beating an animal, a pig up with a gate rod, or, or the, the some bad ones in dairy, chaining up a dairy cow and hanging her off a front-end loader. I mean, this is something that you uh, absolutely should never do. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, the, um, one of the reasons why the livestock associations have been working on teaching animal handling is trying to get people to stop doing these things. And animal handling is where things have gotten better. But I'm also concerned about pushing biology too hard with too much grain or maybe with a growth-promoting substance. Um, it, we, this gets back to this importance of optimizing something rather than um, trying to just maximize things. We well, you know it, it comes back to just balance, doesn't it? It's like if you're kind to an animal and see to their well-being, that's going to optimize it, isn't it? Well, that's right. Absolutely. That's a win-win situation. But you have a lot of things where people cut corners. I mean, right now there's a building in San Francisco where they didn't put the foundation down to bedrock, uh, like a 54-story high condo building that sunk on one side 14 inches into the ground. Yikes. And I wouldn't give you two cents for an apartment in that building. Um, well, well, how could you do something that stupid? Now, again, I think some of this is visualization. You know, that building was on filled ground. Now I'm visualizing the stuff they would have thrown in there in the filled ground, like broken wood houses bits and things like that. And I'm going, that wouldn't be a very good foundation. I'm going down to bedrock, and I don't care how much it costs. This is a 54-story building. This you is pay a it now or you pay it later. Right now. Yeah. Right now. This is not ancient history. They've got this mess with this building right now, and they're not sure what to do about it. Mm. Lack of vision. Isn't that interesting? It's lack of vision. You see, you need your visual thinker to go, oh, you can't do that. I mean, I was a, someone could say, well, I was around when they were filling in the, the ground, and there was busted up wood houses got put in there and busted up this and busted up that. That's not going to be solid ground. And it's the same thing with animals. If you don't give them a good foundation to start out with, with genetics and everything else, you end up with a mess. <laughs> well, I'd well, like the to... thing is, you want to do some genetic improvement. Let's go back to the, you know, well, people get worried about GMOs. Let's we're going to we're have to go back into the GMOs uh, oh, yes. in the next segment. It's time for that break. Right. Temple and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net.
If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. To suggest a topic or guest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Dr. Temple Grandin, her website, grandin.com. Temple, we were just about to get back into GMOs a little bit. You had something more to say there. What I wanted to say is, um, let's just talk about something that was done with corn, with conventional breeding. No GMOs here. Now, when you look up the ear corn, it's really, you know, huge. But if you go online and you type in ancestor of corn, especially do it on Google Images, you will see that the ancestor of corn is kind of like a wheat plant with kernels on it. Now, just with regular breeding, they made a corn cob that looks completely different. 
compared to its ancestor, you know, where, of course, cattle and pigs are, look a lot more similar. Other plants look a lot more similar. And that was done with just conventional breeding. And, and I think that's something people need to realize. So, you know, a lot of people are shocked when they look up ancestor of corn and they see how much corn was changed just with conventional breeding. So how does this apply to our animals? Well, in, in looking at people say, well, you know, things with GMOs are totally terrible. All right, let's look at some of the technologies that we have. You can take a technology called CRISPR where you don't add new and new DNA, but you just snip out a little piece of DNA, and that makes it possible to dehorn cattle. And when you dehorn cattle, you know, by cutting them off, that really hurts. Mm-hmm. Now you can do a CRISPR edit, which is a form of a, you know, genetic modification, and um, that would get rid of the horns. Now that's something that'd be really beneficial. Now there's two kinds of GMOs. There's a GMO where you add code from another organism. Now that's the way the insulin was made originally. And then there's a GMO where you'd edit the existing genome, usually taking out a little piece of code. And that would be, um, you know, the CRISPR uh, technology. Now I think doing that'd be a good thing. And, you know, that's held up right now in regulatory. I'd like to get rid of horns on cattle because um, I'm cutting them off really painful. And the reason they take the horns off, and most dairy cattle have horns, is that horns can be dangerous, too. So that's why right. they take them off. And, you know, the animal can't even, in, sometimes doesn't even intend it. They throw their head back to snap at a fly, and if you're in the way of that horn, you get nailed. That, that's the problem. You see, now you could take CRISPR, and you can, um, you know, just snip out the genetic code that makes the horn. You can also work on uh, naturally polled. One of the problems we got right now in, generic, in dairy genetics is we have a very narrow uh, set of genetics to pick from. So breeding the horns off of the beef cattle is a lot easier than um, trying to breed them off the dairy cattle. But CRISPR is just an example of something good we could do. There's also a thing you can do with CRISPR that could produce a pig that would not get a, a PERS, which is a really serious pig disease. There's some good things we could do with disease resistance. Um, um, it isn't as simple as saying, you know, GMOs are bad. You know, my, my approach is, you know, let's proceed, you know, carefully with this. But, you just, but the reason why I'm bringing up the bloated, I call it, you know, the, the corn cob, the regular corn cob made with regular breeding, if, is that that is something totally different from the ancestor of the corn plant, and that was done with just regular breeding. You know, nobody's recommending anything like that with the GMO right now. We know that things carefully. Boy, isn't that the key? I mean, all we have to do is look at our animal, our dog breeds, and realize. Oh, dogs are terrible. Terrible. We pushed this. And bulldogs. You've got a bulldog that can't walk. It can't breathe. It can't have its babies naturally. I've got big problems with that. Then just go on Google Images and look up extreme Arabian horse if you want to just get sick. You know, a little bit of a dish face is pretty, but they've got an extreme dish face where this horse is going to have breathing problems. And people are breeding that because they think that's pretty. I've got big problems with some of these extreme horses and with bulldogs. And that's stuff that's just done with regular breeding. And, and then there's, so and there's the behavioral stuff. Problems, dogs yeah. are just worse in some cases than the livestock are. Exactly. And then, you know, the, the um, behavioral problems that get bred in inadvertently are, are getting pretty strong, too. Well, traits are linked. Like there's an experiment that was done years ago by a scientist named Belief, and they wanted to make a fur fox that would tame and it wouldn't bite your hand off. So they just bred the fur fox to be gentle. 
Well, they ended up with a heavy-bodied, stocky, black-and-white fox with the colorations of a border collie. And all they did was select for tameness. And they totally changed the body shape and the coloration of the fox. Now, to this day, even with all the genomics, they don't know why those traits are linked. But when you breed for one trait, you inadvertently may breed for something else. Like 30 years ago, when they were breeding for this lean, rapidly growing pig, they also created an excitable um, pig that did a lot of fighting. Now, nobody deliberately breeds a pig that, that would be that way. But the reason why it got bad is those breeders only saw their own pigs. But the reason why I saw it is I was going out to the meat plant and looking at pigs from many different farmers and breeders right beside each other. So then it became obvious that these lean hybrids that I was looking at in the late 80s had a big problem compared to other pigs. But if you never look at other pigs, then you can get into what I call bad becoming normal. It slowly gets worse and you don't see it. And boy, isn't that what's happened with our dogs and just almost oh, all the domestic animals. Yeah. Oh, it's happened with dogs. And you can um, look up, on, uh, go on Google Images, type in Bulldog's Dilemma. Mm. And you will see a picture of a 1938 bulldog. It was a picture in the New York Times. And it, it's a dog that's functional. And then you look at that compared to some of the bulldogs now. You see, that's an example of bad becoming normal. You know, may, if the breed standard had been that picture instead of a verbal breed standard, we probably wouldn't have gotten into this mess. When you read the breed standard, it says stuff like massive head. Well, mm-hmm. Where do you stop on a massive head? Yeah, exactly. You know, See, that's, uh, little, that's your problem. little change in direction. There's much debate on planetary impact of growing and consuming meat. Where do you stand on this? Well, what we need to be doing is getting the animals and the land back together again. The very best agricultural land in Iowa and Illinois was created by herds of grazing bison. Grazing done, done right improves land. We need to be getting in crop rotation and putting grazing animals in as part of the rotation. Monoculture is bad. But the problem with monoculture, uh, and right now they're digging up the pastures in Argentina to raise just monocultures of soybeans with you know, tons of chemicals put on that. Um, in the short run, monoculture works great. In the short run, it's wonderful. In the long term, you mess up the land of doing that. Um, we need to be getting into crop rotation. Every single soil scientist that I have talked to in private will tell me that monoculture is bad. Publicly, they don't want to speak out on it because they don't want to lose grant money. But privately, when you talk to them in private, uh, keep their name confidential, they will tell me that we need to be rotating crops, in North Dakota, is doing some very interesting research right now on cover crops, where one year you, you put in a cover crop, you have your livestock graze that, and then you might put soy or corn, you know, and you're doing four different crops. And one of those crops is, is livestock on a cover crop. Animals are part of the land, and when they are used correctly, they improve soil health. You do grazing right, improve the land. You do it wrong, excellent, absolutely excellent. Mm. But animals are part of the land and part of the soil. So again, it's back to going back to our roots and to balance, yes? But to balance, that's right. And yeah, probably, you know, I eat, eat, but we probably don't need a pound of steak a day. <laughs> but they, they, um, I, I've been learning, I'm, I have to say, I'm just learning what baby kindergarten stuff about crops and agronomy. Because I've been doing a lot of thinking about, about use of, of livestock and and uh, 
I started learning more about how the best uh, cropland in Iowa and Illinois was made by the grazing animals. And then there's all this interest on artificial meat. One of the things that nobody has looked at is the energy costs it would take to create that. There's a possibility it might be worse than raising beef the natural way. It, it, it would appear this go again, going back to balance. And, you know, I, I right. think some, you know, depending on your nationality, some of us just flat need meat to stay to stay healthy. Um, well, in a developing countries, I've, I've looked into some of this research, a little bit of animal protein, like an egg a day in a developing country can make a huge difference in, in a child's brain development and health. Just mm. a little bit of animal protein uh, really helps that child in a developing country. Um, I'm, it, you know, yeah, you can do things on a vegan diet, but boy, you have to have access to a lot of stuff. Also, uh, monocultures of soy are not a good thing. Right. That's not exactly. a good thing. And I've been looking into stuff on palm oil plantations, mm-hmm. and I was really upset to read just recently, either in Science or Nature, that they're actually working on sustainable palm oil where you grow other diverse plants in the plantation. And there's not enough demand for that sustainable palm oil. That demand needs to be increased because the thing that's going to improve things in the future is customers demanding it. That is the thing that makes improvement. When I worked at McDonald's 20 20 years ago on fixing slaughterhouses, it made huge improvements. Management, repairs, simple changes. We are about out of time, um, but I can't thank you enough for all that you're doing to to make things work together again and to bring humanity back into the handling of animals. It's it's a huge thing. Well, time has flown, and as always, we're out of it. <laughs> Dr. Grandin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Our guest this hour has been Dr. Temple Grandin author, designer of livestock handling facilities, and professor of animal science at Colorado State University. Her website, grandon.com. For our amazing past episode collection, visit our website, missionevolution.org. To suggest a guest, email info at missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Winyaka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? 
Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit numberonefear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking.